Hello and welcome to the Wild Enrichment Podcast. My name is Kyle Banton-Jones and I'll be your host. The Wild Enrichment Podcast is a show about animal welfare, training, enrichment, and everything in between. Each episode, we will be exploring concepts surrounding behavioral husbandry and the ever-advancing field of animal welfare, from interviews with real animal care professionals to educational episodes about new concepts in animal care. This is the Wild Enrichment Podcast. Enjoy. Okay, hello everybody and welcome back to the Wild Enrichment Podcast. Uh, today we are joined by our very special guest, uh, Dr. Isabella Clegg, and she is the Director of Animal Welfare Expertise. Uh, Isabella, thank you so much for joining us today. No, thank you for having me. Yeah, we're uh, very excited to come uh, have you come on. Um, I think the first time that I was on Instagram that I stumbled upon your uh, page, and it was some really cool uh, dolphin enrichment, I believe it was. So um, yeah, it's uh, some really, really cool stuff uh, that we will talk about, I'm sure. And uh, yeah, no, it's it's uh, exciting to have you on and exciting to have a like-minded person that, you know, loves enrichment as well. So that's yeah. that's a bonus. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, uh, if you want to give people like sort of an idea of your background and how you sort of got involved in this field of animal welfare. Yeah, of course. Uh, a little bit by accident, um, I guess. Uh, I want. I always loved animals. I wanted to be a vet originally, and kind of got all the way to just about to be going to vet school. Got a place and just sort of changed my mind at the last minute and took a bit of time out to kind of go travelling a little bit. And in the meantime, found this course on animal welfare um, at a uni in in the UK and it turned out to be a brilliant course at the University of Bristol. It was attached to the vet school and it, yeah, it was all the parts of the veterinary science that I loved the most anyway, um, you know, the behavior and the welfare side. So, and it was at that time, I guess, where welfare was just kicking off like welfare science. So it was a really exciting time to be studying it. And yeah, it just led from, from there onto a master's in marine mammal science at the University of Miami. Um, which was yeah really awesome, really cool program. Did a lot of practical stuff as well as research um, side of things. Uh, yeah, and then I studied a P for a PhD in um, dolphin behaviour, looking specifically at developing a welfare assessment or parameters for um, for bottlenose dolphins. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. It definitely seems uh, um, like a lot of your work is with a variety of cetaceans and uh, stuff like that. That's yeah, that's really interesting interesting background. Uh, so you have animal welfare expertise, and that's sort of how how I found you and uh, what we're going to be talking about the majority of the podcast. Uh, do you want to give people a sort of an idea of what animal welfare expertise is and and yeah. you know what you guys do? Yeah, of course. So it's a consultancy, which means we go around to different zoos, aquariums, um, government bodies sometimes, NGOs, and advise them on welfare related subjects in a nutshell and um, we definitely started with more cetacean related projects like you said and that's because that was linked to my PhD um, but we're now broadening out the same approach and applying it to um, yeah lots of different uh, zoo species and sometimes even outside the zoo um, and yeah it's 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 been going five years now the I guess the main reason why I set it up was because I felt like all of this cool stuff I was studying, you know, for my these degrees, 
didn't necessarily wasn't necessarily getting to the to the zoo industry and to the zoo side of things or anyway on the ground and in, in animal industries so it was kind of meant to be like a, a service that bridged the gap between academia and animal use industries and also to help it go back the other way I sometimes saw that some of these studies and research could use a lot of the um, you know expertise and experience of people on the ground so yeah that's where we that's where we try to sit it's I found that it's, um, and I like it this way, but it's usually quite you know, in the middle of, in the middle of a lot of different opinions. You know, you're not mm. quite part of the of the zoo community, and you're not quite part of, well, you're not part really of the of anti-zoo community, but or NGOs or, or activists. But you're often perceived on both sides to be <laughs> not quite in, you know, in a friend of no one basically. But it's good. It helps to stay to stay objective. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's, that's a huge, huge part of it is, is that objectivity that you get from, from the outside. Uh, it's definitely, you know, as when you're a keeper, and you're seeing the same thing every day, like it's so easy to get so used to it. And having those resources and somebody with, uh, you know, your sort of background is, I'm sure, hugely, um, uh, you know, beneficial for these scenarios, as, you know, not only as an outside source, but also, uh, with your background and yeah it, it's definitely important to to bridge the gap because you know there's on both sides of of the equation you know it, it's hard to uh, uh, from academia it's hard to like really apply to like this situation objectively and then as uh, a keeper a lot of the time it's hard to you know understand what what how this relates to your specific uh, you know scenario yeah um, yeah, so it's definitely, you know, super beneficial and and the amount of knowledge that you that you need to effectively, you know, even evaluate welfare a lot of the time in some of these animals especially things, you know, like cetaceans and stuff. It's it's so huge and it, it you know, it takes a, an immense amount of effort and I think that's something that people don't really uh, understand especially outside of the zoo community. Yeah, definitely. And that's you're right, that's another challenge of being the type of consultants we are I think you're right they it does take a lot of effort and so each of these assessments and write-ups are you know at least a couple of weeks long which of course like costs money and mm -hmm. so still at the moment because welfare science is still relatively new and you know zoos don't have unlimited budgets we're at the moment working mostly for zoos obviously that can afford it that can that can bring in someone like that and also that are willing to open their doors um yeah and to let in a welfare a welfare assessor so that's that's the other part of it is to somehow work out how to work more with zoos that either don't have the budget or that where you know welfare conditions really are needing needing improvement um and then not just to come in i've done a few where i've come in as i said at the beginning on the government side of things where it's got so bad that you have to come in as an inspector and then mm. you know of course you can suggest all these things but usually the relationship isn't there they haven't asked you to come in they're being forced to to be inspected yeah. so it's not really conducive to good change but you know you've got i guess they've got to do it mm -hmm. yeah and and it's hard I, and i think uh the idea of you know welfare as a as a study in especially like the zoo world and and a lot of fields in animal care is something that you know definitely will change because a lot of the time like if you're having a welfare before recently, I think, you know, the field, as you said, is relatively new and advancing and it feels like, you know, you know, nothing but so much at the same time uh, mm. with a lot of these, uh, you know, it's, 
like when you had a welfare discussion 10 years ago about an animal, it was basically like, when, when are we going to euthanize it kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. Like that's, that's traditionally what, and it's, yeah, it's an, another gap to bridge when you're coming in as a consultant and yeah. um, those kind of things. It's, it's definitely pretty tough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, what, what do these sort of, cons how, how are you gathering like data in these, sessions and like so mm. do you want to give people an idea of what this like process looks like and and yeah. if you see any sort of common themes that jump out at you as far as things that a lot of people are struggling with because i think a lot of people think their scenario is like unique a lot of the time and and i i don't find that to always be be the case so i'd, I'd like to hear your thoughts on that yeah definitely um so yeah the first part of it what how do we kind of collect data and what's the process I'd say the main, um, well, maybe, yeah, the main way that we consult with zoos is to do these welfare assessments. So, um, if there's if there's been a welfare assessment uh, developed before, so for example, like cetaceans, but for a few other of the more studied species, there's a set of standardised measures. So a set of you know maybe thirty or forty or maybe fifty different um, welfare measures that cover all parts of the animal's life, um, and we use specific a sort of standardized approach within that to always have um for example like a, a three points scale where each measure will either have a zero score which will be um good welfare a one score suboptimal or two which will be um poor welfare and so you score each of those measures by collecting data um on that score while also remembering that none of those one measures can give you actually an indication of good or poor welfare you have to look at them all together um, but just each of them will have those different levels. Um, and the way we collect data to answer each of those measures is uh, it depends on the on the different domains, but you've got like your nutrition. So you'd look at what the animals are fed, look at the diet sheets, look at the animal based side of that. So look at body condition, look at weights if you can get them um, all the way through to the environment they're in, their health, their behavior, training, enrichment. Um, so a lot of the behavior and enrichment stuff is doing behavioral observations. So if, for example, doing an assessment that takes a week on a group of maybe 10 animals, we'll try and do at least 30 observations, focal observations, um, which might take five or 10 minutes per animal. It's probably giving too much detail, but anyway, you can imagine it. <laughs> mm, yeah. Just it's, it's part of the same thing like you said of letting people know, yeah, how much is involved. Um, and so, yeah, you collect all this data, uh, analyze the parts of it that you need to to be able to answer those measures you then come out with a um with a score at the end of of this assessment and uh, individual animal score and then um the next part of it is writing it up as a report you know um like describe all the results that we found uh, and then matching them to some recommendations that you can feed all that back and give it to the to the zoo um the big difference with those kind of assessments is whether there is an assessment, like I said, available for that species or not. So, mm -hmm. for example, this summer we did an assessment on on the dole. So that's a an um, Asian wild dog, um, very little studied in captivity or in the wild. Um, and so we had to develop kind of our own set of measures very conservatively because there wasn't anything out there. But using the same approaches that we have for canids and and other similar species, um, develop a set of measures. Um, you know, roughly looking at uh, what you would hope to see again in terms of nutrition behavior environment all of those things um so yeah that's the main way i guess that we work with zoos 
otherwise though if there's any you know if a zoo has a specific question or problem like they want to, you know they've got a specific group of animals and they want to find out something um yeah a bit more in depth and we'd we do specific behavior observations on them other kind of ways is yeah um developing different programs or parts of their um, animal care sort of systems like enrichment or, or research projects sometimes but yeah that's all a bit more um i guess just customizable to the to the zoo um but yeah and now i'm forgetting the second part of your question <laughs> yeah sorry it was it was too many questions all at once but no. uh okay. uh is there is there sort of uh any common themes or common yeah. problems that you think stand out to you as, as things that a lot of people are facing yeah no it's a really good question um i think first of all i think when i i guess when we go to a, a place and and you're thinking about recommendations and looking at the data you're finding it kind of generally um falls into one or two camps basically either the play at the zoo is not a is not providing those kind of basic needs to the animal and that sounds really bad and i'm not not talking about you know the animals are in terrible condition but basically one of those like fundamental needs either it's food uh, environment um vet care sometimes one of those areas is lacking and and then you're like okay we can't really address any of these other areas because we've got to get their sort of fundamental needs um met beforehand and then you can start thinking about um yeah what you need to provide on top of that so that's what I guess we find in some of them. Then, as I said, we are I, we are working more often with with zoos that are, I guess a bit, um, yeah, probably on that higher level. So then we're talking about those high level welfare needs, which is mainly your social needs, mental stimulation, choice and control, um, and those kind of yeah, I do see definitely same, the same threads between different species, different types of facility, um, and I think. Yeah, I think a lot of it, and this is the same as you know, with working with animals, a lot of it is to do with humans and how humans organize themselves. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it will be slightly different problems in different places of either, either it's staff communication that no, people aren't communicating like effectively, or um, maybe they are communicating effectively, but uh, you know they don't feel that they're supported from the higher levels. So I think that's been a really interesting part of learning how to be a consultant is to obviously learn how to work more with people and identifying yeah the right problems uh you know the most accurate in the most accurate way the problems that are going on at a place and and how to help it all from a position of like you know i meant to come in as a welfare consultant not a human psychology consultant so yeah yeah with your words and um but it's i think it's a lot about yeah experience sharing and you know things that and you'll know this for sure things like sharing the best way or at least shortcuts to set up an effective enrichment program. Just, you know, what are the basics that you need to put in place um, that will help you at least deliver enrichment? And then you, they can go and, you know, set up the actual enrichment however they want, but just the, the um, you know, the systems and the processes. It sounds boring, but that's definitely something that can help, I think, across zoos. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the same for those other main, like, pillars of those higher needs. So we usually, I usually, sort of frame it as like you've got those three pillars of enrichment social kind of needs and training or, or sort of um, other mental stimulation and the human processes behind providing each of those things I think is really transferable yeah no absolutely and and yeah it's it's interesting that you that you mentioned like communication and teams because I totally think that's so important and something that I've been really talking a lot about recently uh it, like 
as welfare gets more complex and we're not as focused on like inputs, which are very, I find, you know, easy to communicate because those are mm -hmm. often just check marks yeah. on a, you know, like I gave this item, I gave that item. It's the outputs that take so much communication and so much. What One area that I've seen repeatedly this be a problem in a lot of teams is like things like demeanor of the mm -hmm. animal and like specific behaviors that you know, mean one thing, but if, mm. if you have a team of 10 people and, and two of those people think this behavior means something that it doesn't, then yeah. your data is completely screwed and, and everything is, is, is breaking down and yeah. teams are frustrated and it, those things are hard to communicate and it really takes everybody being on the same page for them to be, you know, effectively evaluated. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely agree. And yeah, on the, that same thread, I think, I've seen problems where, you know, we've potentially we've we've uh, installed like an amazing, for example, behavioral observation program where the staff are taking these observations, you know, great data every single day. And, it's, and they almost know too much about the animals and they start to if, you're there, if they're then going out to train them or, you know, move them to a different enclosure. They're like, oh, you know, because I've seen it do this this morning with this one, it's not going to move into that enclosure with this one. Mm. So let's not try that. Let's try something else. And of course, like with a big group of animals or, you know, and lots to do in a day, it just gets so complex and too hard. And, you know, we have to almost bring the, bring it back to to wiping the slate clean. Like the, the behavioral observations are super important and can be used to inform management. But at the same time, we can't we can't get too bogged down in it and have to give the animals a chance to surprise us. And, you know, even yeah. though, even though someone fought with someone else in the morning, they could easily come and, and sit together in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. yeah, no, it's, it's, you, uh, and oftentimes, like, as you said, with the, the doll, uh, like there's oftentimes you're, you're, you know, operating completely on, you know, anecdotal or such a small data set that you really have, you really don't know that much like it's yeah. just about trying things and communicating results and like you know yeah it, it, it's it's so hard in those situations uh it's so great to work with an animal that does have like care manuals written by yeah. like a bunch yeah. of different people that are you know a, a bunch of different groups and stuff and and when you don't mm. have those resources it's it's so hard to to mm. do this stuff effectively and yeah 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 i almost feel sometimes though you in the other way you're released in a little bit in that way mm. it's, you know everyone's on the same page we all know we've got no information and really anything you do is a good step but i think sometimes yeah once you get with the cetaceans and elephants and all that you know everyone's um everyone's still very um yeah has got their own opinion about how things should be done and i think it's a really interesting point with these welfare this welfare assessment approach i'm sure and it's totally right that some of your listeners will think you know, how can you give a score, uh, you know, to an animal based on a week's worth of data and come out with a total score at the end? And it is a such a rough and ready way of trying to understand whether an animal is doing well or not. I mean, it's by no means optimal. Um, and I think, again, there's sort of two camps of thought. Either we go with an approach like that, say we want to understand something about the welfare of animal, either we go with an approach like that and get this imperfect data, which, you know, hopefully will give us some indication. But you know, to be perfectly honest, maybe it doesn't as well. Maybe it's completely off the mark. You know, who knows? We, there, there's big caveats to it. And it's really important that everyone's aware of it. But the other approach is, 
a bit more of the pure science way of like, no, we have to wait until every single measure is validated. And by that, they mean tested in, in, in a research setting on, you know, big groups of animals at different facilities mm. before we even go ahead with the welfare assessment. And I can definitely see the arguments to both sides. And I think it's sometimes comes down to a bit of a, like a personal approach or opinion as to what you think will help. And um, yeah, we've gone with the, the more practical trial and error approach, but you know, it's totally valid and we need those research groups to be doing the in-depth research as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, it's, it's awesome when, when you can actually get some concrete results from from a lot of that research that can that can really like inform your decisions it's yeah. it's yeah it's super nice and a lot of the time it's yeah it's about having very loosely held opinions about a lot of these things because it's yeah. you know even in as a keeper like when you've if you've been working with these animals for you know 30 years you might be an expert on tigers but how many tigers have you actually worked with in your career yeah. you know it's like yeah. there's so so much variation between individuals that it's yeah, it's it's so hard, and and you got to be ready to be surprised and and yeah. and try new things at at all times. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So you know, is there an example of a sort of recent project uh, that animal welfare expertise has done uh, that sort of you know you think exemplifies what you guys stand for and and do? Um. Yeah, I have to think of one that's specific i think i mean the doll one i like because it shows how our approach can be used uh, for a totally different species and still give some meaningful um results and recommendations and the team was really um engaged with it and you know immediately made some changes which was really nice to see um an example of another of another project um I think I really like working on the flip side. So that was the doll is more like a one-off assessment. So I love also when we work long-term with zoos. So on more of like a retainer basis, like, you know, a couple of days a month or something. And that way, you know, we get to really see and track the the um, improvements and changes that are made. Um, so yeah, one of our long-term clients is SeaWorld in Australia. It's not linked to SeaWorld in America, um, but it also has um, dolphins under human care. and there you know it's a big facility and lots of different groups and um there you know they've really implemented this this new completely new structured enrichment program uh, along with these behavioral observations so part of it and have collected a massive data set um to go along with these changes that they've made and i actually really i do like this as an example because it shows you know that that success is not just going to be a linear path with animal welfare mm. it's really oscillating it's two steps forward one steps back one step back and that's another i guess common scene that i found between facilities so yeah we made some great progress last year and then probably i think a few things caught up with us and covid's delayed covid issues with start you know all this stuff and you know now we've seen a bit of a of a decrease in in our animal based indicators so we have to brainstorm again and and work out how to change how to change what we're doing but no way would we know what's really going on without this this behavioral data so i can't um i guess applaud the team enough because they're the ones you know i can recommend it but they're the ones on the ground who are taking this data and and doing it day in day out so and i'm as as i'm sure loads of keepers around the world so yeah for those of you listening who are wondering <laughs> why you have to keep doing those observations yeah keep it up it's amazing it helps in so many different ways 
Yeah, because it, it nothing's worse than when you have a welfare problem and you wish you had the data beforehand. Because that's you know a lot of these welfare problems and and issues that facilities face is sort of like the impetus of, of what starts their data collection as opposed yeah. to you need to have that data to sort of catch these problems before they get to the point of absolutely because because especially with things like stereotypies and everything like that yeah. like it's yeah. so much harder to to once those things become established it's, yeah. it's so challenging to exactly. to to tackle them and to figure out what's going on and it's yeah, yeah it's having those systems beforehand is a tremendously valuable yeah and and it, yeah as you said it's it, these things are oscillating and it's if you held these animals in a in a vacuum and could control everything yeah. you know then you know, we wouldn't, it would, I'm sure it would be a lot more linear, but it's, mm -hmm. it, it's, there's so many things that happen in an animal's life that you can't control and that can completely derail your training programs and your enrichment programs. And, yeah. uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's hard. So, uh, no, it's definitely something to, to acknowledge. It's not always, you can't win every single day. No. It's, it's about, yeah. No. And it's so long-term, isn't it? That's the other mm -hmm. hard thing. It's not even really weeks or months. It's going to be years. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, and it's the same with even training, like yeah. complex behaviors take time. And sometimes you get to a point and you got to take a couple steps back and, and start with the basics because, you know, th this animal started doing this thing as opposed to this thing. And yeah. it's the same. It's the same with, uh, you know, studying their welfare and making those recommendations. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so one of the things that I, that I first, uh, you know, noticed about your social media and, uh, uh website and stuff is the idea box. Mm -hmm. Uh, do you want to sort of explain what that is and, uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. It's, um, yeah, it's an online, um, platform, but it's also got a PDF version. It's a catalog of the more complex and in innovative, I guess, enrichment ideas for, um, at the moment, just for cetaceans and pinnipeds. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's open access. It's so anyone can log on and see these um, items, and we put up there all the videos, the designs, the budgets, um, safety issues, any research that's linked to it. Basically, everything you'd need to be able to build it yourself. Um, and yeah, I think I love the bit I love the most about the project is it's basically crowdsourced. It's not my ideas. It's mm -hmm. trainers or keepers submitting their own ideas. You know, completely voluntarily and that's you know we're also doing it voluntarily as well it's a real sort of i don't know it feels like a, a really goodwill kind of project just sharing sharing the ideas around um uh so yeah that's that's and you can find it on our on our website yeah no i'll link it in the in the show notes so people can uh can find it that's yeah that's that's really uh really cool i that's sort of how in wild enrichment started was mm. posting uh different enrichment ideas and and stuff like that on uh, yeah. on my website and social media it's it's hard it's hard to do it's hard like there's yeah it, it's uh, i commend you for for how great the idea box is because it's not an easy easy task mm. to uh yeah. keep up on especially with all the designs and and yeah there's just so many good ideas floating around there that it's it's great to be able to look some of them up and yeah exactly yeah. no you're right and you know, I've definitely come across your website and others, you know, like the Zoo Snippets and Host the Habitat mm. while, while looking at how to set up idea box. And I think, as you know, there's like enough work to do out there that we can all share different parts of, you know, parts of the process. Because, um, yeah, for one person, I mean, that's probably the ultimate goal for one person to have all this stuff on a massive yeah, um, yeah wiki kind of thing. Um, 
but yeah at the moment people at least there's so much free content and it's so it's been so great to yeah, also see all of your guys's stuff um that can help people set up enrichment programs yeah and and, and that the whole science of you know animal welfare it needs to be like so like collaborative and yeah. i think it's a good yeah. sort of uh, starting off point, especially with things like enrichment to, to get there, because there's people that, you know, all of these problems, a lot of other places will have, and you're very rarely alone in what you're facing and yeah. being able to touch base with other facilities. And that's one thing I've found about the industry. It is very collaborative and yeah. I think it's definitely getting there with, you know, animal welfare as well. So. Yeah, definitely. And the one thing you don't, I guess, yeah, one of, the main barriers which I saw to people developing these kind of ideas themselves was time and budget, which is just, I guess it's obvious, but yeah. like resources, you know, you just don't want, you don't want the reason that animals aren't getting good enrichment just because people can't, you know, they don't have the time to come up with these ideas or the, mm. you know, and if, if some part of the process can shortcut that, i.e. just sharing good ideas with these same species around different zoos, I'm like, that's what you've been thinking as well, I'm sure. I just think that's a, that should be the goal of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, uh, yeah, time and time and money are often the uh, biggest constraints with, especially with enrichment. But yeah. uh, do you have any advice for sort of people and facilities in general looking to deliver, you know, a better animal welfare program and and structuring that yeah welfare program as a whole girl yeah um i think um as i kind of said uh, before i think your main pillars are your well first get make sure everything is make sure all those basic needs are met so you're that the animals feel safe that they've got a good diet they've got you know they're hydrated they've got good vet care um i think once you've once you've got all that in place if we're talking about then how to really get to that upper level of providing great welfare um, I think you've got your social kind of needs, your mental stimulation or your enrichment um, and potentially training, although that will depend on whether you're working with rehabbed animals or, you know, animals going to the wild. That does depend. But basically, how are you going to yeah, stimulate those animals every day? Um, and yeah, I think as we kind of touched upon already, starting by getting all your team of humans on the same page, getting processes in place where you've agreed on your goals for each of those kind of pillars. So how how often do you want to provide enrichment? Um, what are your safety goals? What's super important with enrichment is like, what's your risk level? What's the accepted kind of risk level that you're that you're going to set it at? Because it's it really does differ between different facilities mm -hmm. like and different countries. You know, in some places, no risk really is acceptable and enrichment becomes very quite safe and probably a little bit dull. And in some other countries, you know, it's much more like, okay, it's going to be more like the wild where they have risks to their health and safety, but yeah. at least mental stimulation is going to be there. Um, so things like that. Social management. I mean, for social species, this is such a big one is how, how do you organize and structure social um, social enrichment basically with with a social species and when you've got a species like dolphins that are fish and fusion animals which in the wild they come together they split and come together a lot so how do you how do you do that in captivity and and again I think it might sound it's not really I guess the traditional way of looking at it but to put that more and more of a schedule not to make it predictable but to have a plan where mm. for the year you know uh, you know maybe they're going to be three or four big changes in the group and then maybe lots of small changes to keep it interesting day to day. There's there's all these types of things that um, 
just are worth talking about amongst your team and amongst the humans and um yeah and then working out your training how far you're going to go with that whether you need more skills with that again there's loads of cool free resources online to, to learn a bit yeah. more about training and and obviously starting with um training for husbandry behaviors is is really the best way or the first thing that the, the first priority but yeah, some of the cognitive enrichment and, and cognitive cognitive training, sorry, that um, that you can do to help keep the animals stimulated, even if they're in a massive, you know, stimulating enclosure, you can do some amazing training to, mm. to keep them stimulated each day. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think even asking yourself, like, like as a team, you know, would we be able to catch something negative in this animal's welfare? you know, early enough to yeah. really respond to it. Like, you know, Absolutely. do we have the systems to do that? And yeah, 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 yeah. 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 I, I, I say all the time, like if your animal started pacing at 2 a.m., like, would you know? Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and it's, and that might completely shift your goals and your focus for that animal as far as, you know, if you're, if you're worried about it, trying to make it interact with more complex enrichment in, in the day, and then you find out it's pacing, at 2 a.m. Yeah. every day then like yeah. that completely changes your goals and yeah yeah so true yeah so getting mm -hmm. definitely getting that that monitoring and recording system in place yeah not just for behaviors but also probably for well all welfare indicators yeah so yeah yeah because yeah. because you know a lot of animals are they're habitual like us and they it's not about like viewing every minute of their life it's about getting an idea of what the 24-hour cycle looks like for that animal yeah and, yeah. looking for those deviations and looking for changes and you know yeah yeah and i think um one last thing which actually i would recommend as well if we're talking about sort of team communication and talking about and setting up a welfare program is to ask ask the team or at least think about what do you want the animals to be doing for their 24 yeah. hours in their day and i think just to ask yourself that and then take a bit of preliminary data and see how far off you are with it it's often I've done it with quite a few yeah facilities and understandably it's it's usually quite different you know yeah what you want ideally you know is all this social behavior lots of training time maybe and, and lots of enrichment engagement and actually you know when you see the, the results it's it can be quite different but I think it's instead of being demoralizing I think it is really helpful because it gives you targets as to where you want to reach yeah yeah definable goals that you can actually get to you know yeah. and as, especially with things like foraging time i find yeah. that's one of the biggest disparities in 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 yeah. like zoos and stuff is yeah, you know this yeah this animal could be spending 15 hours a day foraging in the wild and then yeah. 10 minutes in in captivity that's that's a that's something that happens all the time so yeah looking at those yeah. things and figuring out what the goal should be yeah. um yeah is is super important yeah so, so we mentioned a few times with, you know, animal welfare science sort of uh, developing quickly and it's sort of new. Is there, what do you think, you know, the biggest areas of advancements and the themes of the next, you know, five to 10 years being? Mm. <coughs> Sorry. Well, it's exciting thinking about that. Um, <laughs> I think, uh, I do think foraging time is a massive one. Um, I think weirdly, yeah. I guess it's with the species that are easier to provide foraging enrichment. We've come, we've done really well, but then there's some species where it's just, it's just so little or it's so different to the wild. And interestingly, I think, yeah, dolphins is, is an easy, obvious one where yes, they could get a lot of their food and training. And yes, you can say that some of that could be problem solving task related stuff, but 
in practice if it's if it's not if it's just repeating known behaviors which the you know they don't find a problem to solve then then we're really not providing them any time where they mm. get to choose how to forage on their own um yeah and we've done a really i don't get to do much research these days with the you know more consulting but we've just done a really cool research project looking comparing cognitive foraging like problem solving um, foraging enrichment with dolphins versus non-cognitive um enrichment still paired with food so that we can control for food in both situations and finding that welfare parameters improved so much if you are allowing the, the animals to problem solve um mm, yeah. on a long-term basis so yeah i hope that gets more attention um i think otherwise and which is a really like wide um spanning topic is just more opportunities for choice and control um yeah under under human care and that will yeah come into your social size and your enrichment and your training um yeah even back to those yeah environmental you know more of the basic needs their diet as much as much agency we, we need to give animals i think more more agency um mm -hmm. in collections and there's some pockets of like really great ideas and and progress in this but yeah we almost need a platform also for for you know different ideas that people are having and and sharing with this because that's I guess that's the question I get asked a lot by by zoos is yeah what can how do we give more choice and control and then we start talking about it it's it's clear that it involves quite quite a lot of changes to how to the status mm. quo and how things are done so it'll take people to be bold and and make those changes but as you've probably seen you know all this research on public opinion and stuff is all leading to you know everyone wants to see animals with more agency and behaving more naturally and being more just being engaged with their environments whether that's a completely natural looking environment or whether it's you know fabricated but still still providing the same problem solving opportunities it doesn't have to be i think some zoos are despairing because they're like you know we can't we just can't provide the wild um environment mm -hmm. As you, like, you know that's fine you just have to be very inventive and creative with enrichment and your and your environmental design and and if you can do that you'll get the animals behaving in a natural way and that will be you know amazing for guests to see and be inspired by yeah no absolutely yeah i think that that translates very easily to guests when they see you know an animal behaving a certain way like even if they don't really have that sort of animal welfare knowledge it's definitely yeah. something that translates and and yeah with the with things like exhibits and the environment that the animals in like that's something that that has to develop quickly and that people yeah. really need to invest a ton of time in figuring yeah. out what they should be because it's such a big commitment when you're building these you know 10 million dollar exhibits like yeah. you're stuck with that thing for 20 years regardless of how good it is so yeah. it's uh, it, you make a couple mistakes on that and then like that that can lead to poor welfare for decades for an animal yeah. so yeah. yeah it's it's so important that i think that's something that's gonna advance you know very very quickly with with this kind of stuff yeah i think so and i think it's not so much progress in our welfare science but i think what what i think will happen is because that is what needs to happen for zoos as a whole I think we'll end up probably having slightly fewer zoos in total, but you know the better ones with potentially more money to make those big investments will stick around, and 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 hopefully those investments will be driven through. But I mm -hmm. think, yeah, at the moment, again talking about pub public perception, that yeah, some of those zoos that haven't been able to to make those investments, you know, again, yeah, you're just leading to to worse welfare outcomes, poor public perception, and. That everyone's getting tarred with the same brush so yeah um, yeah i think we need a bit of sort of 
probably a bit of a crossroads, a bit of a brutal period where some some won't won't make it through, but hopefully the good ones will, and and that will be more than enough, I think, for, for everyone to go and experience. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely, yeah. Uh, so, uh, is there like uh, what are you most excited about? At, you know, with animal welfare expertise right now, and you know what's what's uh, keeping you going on this sort yeah. of yeah. Um, I think, uh, I think a really exciting thing this year is that, um, we've hired our first, um, project manager, um, Rhiannon. So she's been great. She's come on the team and yeah, mostly before that, it's just been me with some subcontractors. So that's really exciting and, you know, great to like be sharing ideas and, and, you know, perspectives and she's got more expertise in, in terrestrial zoo animals. So that's part of the reason Part of the impetus to spread more to, to other species um so yeah i think it's an exciting period for, for animal welfare expertise to grow um in different directions we're starting to do a few more um yeah getting back going on social media again which i just it, it can as you probably know it falls by the wayside if, if yeah. you don't have time um mm. but yeah being a being a bigger team it helps to do that more regularly which means we engage with people better which means we understand how to provide what you know services better so that'll be a good a great process to go through i think um and i think yeah as everyone's learned with covid more all of this sort of virtual um learning and virtual engagement we've all got so much better at that trying to capitalize mm -hmm. on that we're doing a lot more seminars at the moment they're free but you know at some point i guess we'll we'll make them uh, i think there'll be more on our patreon which is still super super cheap but behind it you know a small paywall so that we can yeah, that can be part of our business as well is is more of the education stuff because beforehand when you're sort of traveling around collecting data, you don't have too much time to do to do all that stuff. So yeah, yeah I think the most thing I'm excited about is to engage more with people and and learn more about what, what are the next steps for them? What do they need to know next about welfare science? Yeah, no, that's that's awesome. Congratulations on uh, first hire and uh, it growing. That's that's super exciting. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, so, you know, if, if you could put a poster in every sort of animal welfare facility that people had to look at or get some sort of, uh, idea across to everybody, you know, what, what would it say? And what would you, what would you put on that? Mm. Is this a poster for more the public or for, 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 for people looking after animals? Okay. You know? Yeah. Um, oh, do you know, I think I would go with, like we were saying with the goal setting and, what would you like your animals to be doing every day or yeah. or what are your goals for, for your animals behavior yeah behavior or life quality of life um because i think that can yeah it can be easily forgotten in in the in the craziness of a of a busy day um where some people you know some keepers don't really have even enough time to watch their animals at all or understand what they're doing um and I think it's not really just for the keepers to understand that. I think it's a great thing for upper management and directors to to think about is mm -hmm. what do you what do you want your animals to be doing? And as we've already talked about, it's it's linked to public perception. So then the the success of the zoo, you know, definitely the long term yeah, economic viability of a zoo is is how happy the animals are going to be. Um, so I think getting that message across, yeah, and that can you know, there's loads of different sort of um approaches to to setting those goals you know just asking someone what do you want your animals to do some people can have very different opinions and that's all part of it is for everyone to discuss it doesn't necessarily mm -hmm. have to be exactly like a wild time budget 
but maybe thinking more of those um, like reward systems again that we were saying so an animal doesn't necessarily have to problem solve in exactly the same way it would in the wild but if we can provide can we provide those like proxy opportunities and if we can what kind of goal are we looking for there um so yeah that's i think what i go for yeah no that's that's great uh so it, uh, to wrap up uh you know where can people see what you're up to and and you know hear more about uh, about animal welfare expertise yeah and um, so they can go to the website which i think you'll link as animal welfare expertise yeah. um we've got social media pages going as i was saying so we've got instagram just animal welfare expertise twitter um patreon is animal welfare expertise facebook you'll find us somehow i think if you type in your your social media channel and uh, and our name um but yeah as i said we're really enjoying doing a few doing more seminars and, and online yeah engagement stuff where um, yeah, we'll always be doing a few, like a few free seminars um, regularly, so that won't ever change. But yeah, there might be some um, on our Patreon, um, and yeah, send definitely send through any messages with any questions, or um, yeah, if you want to know more about about what we do. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, I'll, I'll I will definitely link uh, everything we've talked about in the show notes so people can uh, check out some of the great work uh, that you guys are doing. So. Uh, uh, thank you so much for for coming on. This was an awesome conversation. I think it was great. Yeah, thank you so much, Kyle. And yeah, excited to see where you guys go in the future too. Yeah, thank you. Thanks. We hope you enjoyed that episode of the Wild Enrichment Podcast. If you want to follow us on social media, you can find us at Wild Enrichment on Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest. If you want to learn more about Wild Enrichment and see some of our great resources, check out www.wildenrichment.com. Also, if you wish to support Wild Enrichment, check out our Patreon. Again, thank you so much for listening. Until next time. Wild Enrichment is independently owned and claims no affiliation to any zoo, aquarium, or other animal care institutions. All of the information and opinions communicated through this podcast, wildenrichment.com, and affiliated social media accounts are based on my own opinions and experiences and are not in any way reflective of the opinions of my employers past or present. Thank you.